Hey everyone, it's Joe Graves uh, with Central City Church, and uh, I'm excited to have you join us for our daily readings. This year, we'll be focusing specifically on Holy Week. Uh, today is Monday of Holy Week, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share with you some thoughts around what happens to Jesus on the Monday of Holy Week leading up to Easter, according to the Gospel of Matthew. So each day uh, during Holy Week, we'll be looking at the events in Jesus's life. We can't cover all of them, but we'll be covering some of the broad strokes and really inviting you to spend some time thinking about what it would be like to experience Holy Week for yourself. And so today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, starting with verse uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. And after I read this, I'll share some brief thoughts. So here it is. Here's the reading for today. Here is what happens to Jesus on the Monday of the last week before his death and resurrection. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Now when they draw near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you might you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lamb came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never heard? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. God, we give you thanks for your uh, scriptures and for the way in which they witness to the person of Jesus Christ. Help us to embody the living word, the one that dwells within us. Help us this week to connect with these stories in a new way. Help us to feel what the disciples would have felt, to understand the purpose and life of Jesus in these final moments. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you 
probably know if you grew up in church, um, there's a there's a there's a typical Sunday right before Easter. We, people celebrate it every year, um, uh, at least traditional churches do, and uh, we have occasionally um, called Palm Sunday. It's the story we just read, or part of the story we just read. It's this story about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus. Uh, you have to remember that Jesus uh, didn't uh, uh, live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. It was the holy city. It was the special city. It was where everything kind of ended up in the the, the faith of, of the Israelites as where the temple was. But in Matthew specifically, Matthew doesn't even tell a story about Jesus being in Jerusalem in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, in other of the Gospels, he does come to Jerusalem occasionally, but in Matthew, this is his first entrance into the great holy city where the temple resides, which represents the very presence of God. And he is entering in just like a king would enter if they were returning from a war, proclaiming peace. Sort of like a king, anyways. Jesus comes, and he's entering into Jerusalem, and the crowds that had been following with him, these, these are the people that uh, he maybe some of them he fed when the, he fed the 5,000, or the people that he tried to escape when the crowds became too great, and he's up at the Sea of Galilee, which was in the northern part of the kingdom. The crowds are coming with him, and they're coming into Israel, and uh, it was during the time of the Passover, and so everyone was coming to uh, Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. It was really the most appropriate place to celebrate um, the Passover. So it's going to be very busy, it's very popular, and everyone's headed in the same direction. But this particular mob of people, this crowd, uh, had been learning from Jesus, walking with Jesus, and they're so excited. And so they're they're proclaiming him as a king. They're saying, blessed is he, son of David, even. It actually, um, his entrance into Jerusalem is very similar to the actual son of David. Um, If you remember in the Old Testament, uh, king David uh, has a couple different sons. One of those is Solomon, who becomes king. David said Solomon's going to be king. You can read it in 1 Kings chapter 1, 32 to 37, and uh, the description of how Solomon is going to become king. He's going to enter into Jerusalem on a mule, and then he'll sit on the throne of David and become king. That's what David wanted for his son, um, and that's how it's read in 1 Kings chapter 1, 32 to 37. Well, Jesus is experiencing a very similar experience. He is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, similar to a mule, except for he won't sit on any throne. We already know where the story goes. We've seen it hang from people's necklaces, and we've seen it etched on stained glass. Instead of ending up on a throne, he'll be given a crown of thorns and hung on a cross. That's where the story's going. The city, of course, sees this guy come in, with this crowd of people who are shouting and proclaiming. And it says that the city was shooken. It was stirred up. They were like, who is this? What in the world is going on? And they ask him and they tell him. And ultimately it becomes this conflict that we'll see boil up over the course of this next week. You've got those who are potential disciples of Jesus, representative of the crowd. And then you have the city the city of Jerusalem, the people who live there, who aren't just visiting for Passover. And they're like, who is this guy? (laughs) Who's this prophet from up north? And what is he doing here? And who does he think he is? Well, we know exactly who he is. Because on Monday, 
um, that particular Monday. Um, he not only enters Jerusalem, according to Matthew, um, I meant to say this earlier, but in, in Matthew, he enters Jerusalem on Monday, and other some of the other stories he enters on Sunday. We celebrate it on Sunday most years. It works better on Sunday because we don't gather on Mondays, but, you know, whatever. Uh, whether it was Sunday or Monday, it doesn't really matter. But on Monday, he enters Jerusalem, and he goes straight to the temple. He goes into the temple, and what does he do? Oh, it's one of my favorite stories. He starts overturning tables. He goes in, um, so the, you have to think of the temple. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the place where the sacrifices took place. You have to think of the temple pre- precinct. Think of like the Vatican. It's this whole complex of spaces, and different people could go in different places. The men were allowed so far, and the women were allowed over here, and the Gentiles were allowed over here. And it's just a massive, massive um, complex. I've, I've been able to see where it used to be when I was in Israel. It's, it's a huge space. So he goes into the outer courts where people are hanging out and teaching and where they're trading. Um, uh, for animals and money. And, and, and they had to do this for a couple of reasons. Animals had to be um, without blemish. That's what God wanted. It was really a picture of eventually Jesus giving his life without blemish. So animals had to be without blemish. So they had to be inspected. And the easiest way to get an animal without blemish was to buy it directly from the temple. So that's what they're doing, selling animals there. But also, when people traveled from all over the Roman Empire to celebrate the Passover, they're coming with their currency that they, you know, from their home uh, region. And a lot of times, just like our currency, um, it has pictures engraved on it of gods, kings, rulers. You know, I mean, all of our coins and dollars wouldn't have been accepted at the temple because those images would have been considered idols. It's an interesting thought to think about. Um, You couldn't have used an American dollar in the temple because of uh, the picture of uh, George Washington would be considered an idol. Um, Certainly a challenge to American nationalism. So they would have to exchange their currency outside the temple in the outer courts for currency that they could use to give in worship. And that's what's going on. And there's nothing inherently bad about this. And so, but Jesus overturns the tables, and he says, this was meant to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, I have to be honest with you. I've been familiar with this story for quite a while, and I've read it and studied it at various times, and I assumed, which maybe you assumed as well, that it's referring to um, the fact that the people of God were making money off of um, the average worshiper. They were charging for the animals, maybe overcharging, or they were cheating them. Um, and I that's just my assumption, because he says he calls it a den of thieves, and he overturns a table, so something nefarious must have been going on. And, and that was the assumption. But here's what I realized in studying it most recently, is that's not what's said in the text. And one of the most important lessons we can learn in studying Scripture is to— uh, let the text speak for itself. Don't read into it. Let it read for itself. And it doesn't say that. It says um, it, it says that it's meant to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And what we begin to realize as you dig into it deeper is that Jesus is actually quoting from Jeremiah chapter 7, 1 through 11. And in this particular point of the Israel's history, they were disobeying God. And the prophet Jeremiah was condemning them very violently, very strongly, sort of like Jesus is doing here. And this is what Jeremiah was condemning the people for, that Jesus is referencing. He condemned them for oppressing the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and for shedding innocent blood, for killing people, for following other gods, these types of things. It's the classic mistakes that they made then, we make now. They failed to love their neighbor, and they failed to love God, the two great commandments. 
But here's what the people were doing. After they committed these crimes, they would oppress people. They wouldn't take care of the fatherless or the infant or the, the widow. They were letting people die, shedding innocent blood. And they weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping other gods. They would then retreat to the temple. And they believed that if the, once they were in the temple, which represented God's presence and God's grace and God's you know, goodness, then they'd be safe because God promised to protect his people. In fact, this is Jeremiah 7, 10 through 11. It says this. Um, he's making fun of them. He's quoting them. Jeremiah says, we are safe, they say. And then he says, Jeremiah says, safe to do all of these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? This is the verse that Jesus is quoting right here. Jeremiah's judgment, which is most likely Jesus's judgment in order, because he's quoting this verse, and he would have been familiar with it, is this. It's not against the money changers or the people selling animals. It's against religious individuals who think they can do whatever they want, and then they can come back to God's house and be safe, making God's house this hideout for criminals. Jeremiah says, God's house, this temple, is not a hideout. It's not a place where criminals can come and be safe as if they aren't subject to repercussions or accountability. No, 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 no. Jesus and Jeremiah are judging the people who believe that they can claim God as their protector no matter what they do. In other words, they are above accountability. They can hurt people in the name of religion because they believe that's what God wants them to do. They can do whatever they want. As long as they come back to God, God will forgive them. And so the temple becomes nothing but a hideout for the evil, a quote-unquote den of thieves. They can hurt people, and then they can hide behind their theology. And the theology, the theology becomes a den of thieves. Whew. Here's what I know about Scripture and about what it means to be the people of God. Our faith is not something we can hide behind. It's not something that we can go and do whatever we want. God's got our back. We have God on our side. God will protect us. I can make mistakes, but then I can come to church and all is made well. No. God is inviting us into a different way of living. Now, hear me very carefully, because this, this, this can get us into trouble. The people of God, the community of God, the temple, or what, what we might call the church now, is a place where thieves can be transformed. Not a place where thieves can hide. It's a place where sinners can be healed. It's not simply a place where sinners can hide. It's a place where the broken can be made whole, but it's not a place where the broken just come and hide. God welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can come and be a part of the people of God, but that does not give you an excuse to come and hide amongst the people of God, pretending like your life outside of there doesn't matter. God wants to meet you where you are. But God wants it ultimately be a house of prayer, which means that we don't come 
to church. We don't come to be a part of God's family, to be a part of God's community in order to hide, but in order to commune, to be in relationship, a house of prayer where we take time to know God, to allow God to know us, to search our inmost being, to see if there's any wicked way in there, and to change us, to transform us. This means things like accountability, repentance, repercussions, difficult conversations and confrontations. But this is the community that God is building. The people of God, the community of God, is a place for thieves to be redeemed, but not a place for thieves to go and hide. Thanks for listening to today's Holy Week podcast, part of Central City Daily Readings. I hope that you'll join us tomorrow. And also, uh, this coming Friday at 6.30, we'll have a Good Friday service. It will be um, uh, live-streamed as well, so you can join us from uh, from home. And uh, we'll have childcare, so please come on out and uh, enjoy it, uh, even if you've got kids with you. And then on Easter at 9.30 at St. Luke's, we'd love to have you join us for our Easter service. All right, hope to see you there.